Section 36 of Editorials of the Dial Magazine, Volume 66. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. During the war, the fable of the Sibylline books was frequently quoted, always with reference to the diminishing opportunity afforded the central powers for a piece of repentance and pardon. It is the irony of history that the fable has acquired a new application, this time to the victorious powers themselves. It is to them that the fateful figure appears offering her books of prophecy, 963, and the question, with each diminished opportunity, is more insistent. On January 25th, the dial said, the fundamental necessity for a better world is a sacrifice of the instinct for possession. If predatory instincts sway the conference to concern itself chiefly with demands for territory, indemnity, and commercial privilege on the part of the victors, then indeed the rulers of the world will have proved once more their unfitness, and this time the people cannot be deceived. The events of the past two months seem to have justified the second part of this prophecy. Unquestionably, predatory instincts have governed the conference. The talk which has emanated from Paris has been of how much Germany can pay, of shutting her off from raw materials, of granting the Tsar Valley and the left bank of the Rhine to France, Danzig to Poland, and of extending the Italian frontier to the Brenner. Even the covenant of the League of Nations, which should have been a means of reconciliation, was presented in the guise of an alliance of the victorious nations, and the generous interpretation which should have relieved it of this character has not been forthcoming. And the inevitable has happened. Hungary, frightened by an unwarrantable extension of the terms of the armistice and threatened with dismemberment, has followed the example of France in 1792, has committed her national existence directly to her people, whether the social solvent of the Soviet form of government will suffice to hold in solution the various races with nationalistic ambitions, which Hungary includes, is not yet certain. But in any case, the moving finger has written another syllable of the many, many tekel oferasen on the walls within which Balshazar keeps his feast at Paris. Upon President Wilson, as upon no other of the Allied statesmen, the responsibility rests it is fair to say that all the questions which have delayed peace and made Paris a babel of discord were settled in principle by the statement of war aims which he gave to his allies and to his enemies. They were accepted by the former with full acquiescence, in spite of his invitation to them to discuss or dissent. They were understood by the latter and thus became a part of that political, or rather moral, offensive which contributed to their undoing. Above all, they were addressed to his fellow countrymen as the interpretation of the cause for which they were fighting. To all, allies, enemies, and fellow citizens, President Wilson assumed obligations of the most solemn kind, involving not only his own personal honor, but the honor of his country. He knows this, as he knows the result if he fail. The fateful words of his Boston speech were spoken in solemn remembrance of the power which he has invoked. They, the people, are in the saddle, and they are going to see to it that if the present governments do not do their will, some other government shall. End of section 36